God who listens to our questions and answers them in ways that build our courage, open our eyes to what your Holy Spirit is saying to us today. In the name of Jesus, your Son, our Saviour. Amen. One of the very few words I've memorised in the Malay language is awas. There you go. Which means caution. Uh, Malay is one of the languages spoken in Malaysia, and a version of it is also spoken in Indonesia. And Yvette, of course, is from Malaysia, as is her brother Kenneth. Wonderful to have Kenny and Annette with us today. Uh, and, and, and Yvette and Kenny speak it fluently, and I do not. Uh, and I barely speak it at all. Kenny say, no, I don't speak it fluently. <laughs> You'd think uh, I'd memorise a slightly more useful word like please or thank you or where's the toilet or something. Um, but for reasons known only to the peculiar way that my brain works, it would seem that I have memorised awas only and no other Malay word. It has uses, of course, as any caution sign does. It means we don't set foot where we might have done or we exercise greater care when we do. And caution is one of the attributes of the story of Nicodemus. We know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was what we might call a good Pharisee, belonging to that part of Judaism who took a pledge to uphold every detail of the law. He knew uh, the Torah, the, the, the Old Testament as we might call it, uh, inside out. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, so the Supreme Court of the Jews, an important group of 70 people. So he was someone who had authority and status and standing and recognition. And that's quite important when we consider what Nicodemus, in a sense, does next. Because seemingly alone out of this group of 70 important people, he approaches Jesus. We can assume that before he approached Jesus, he certainly knew who Jesus was. He might have seen firsthand, perhaps, the miracles of Jesus, and he'd absolutely have heard about them. Maybe he was wanting to make up his own mind and check Jesus out for himself. He'd heard many stories and rumours about this man from Galilee, and he didn't just want to believe what other people were telling him. And so Nicodemus approaches Jesus by night, when he's unlikely to be seen by others, and when Jesus, perhaps, is more likely to be alone. And it's not that Nicodemus was afraid or timid. Those things wouldn't have done him any good as a member of the Sanhedrin. But he was perhaps cautious. Maybe that was his personality. Maybe he was just a cautious kind of guy. But I wonder, too, if he was pretty astute. He was politically pretty smart. He wasn't just going to jump on the bandwagon with other Jesus followers. But nor was he going to dismiss Jesus outright as some crazy teacher from a tin pot town. Nicodemus wanted to form his own view. I don't think the phrase born again is quite as in vogue as it once was, uh, but maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. And it, of course, wasn't just a phrase that was used in Nicodemus's day. It's been used um, by politicians and was strongly associated with the Billy Graham Crusades and has typically referred to those who have converted to Christianity often, though not always in quite spectacular ways. But for now, perhaps... 
the phrase born again is the stuff of history and of nostalgia. Let me tell you a story. Not very far from here, in the early 1970s, a young man was studying engineering in the Island campus of the University of Canterbury. Those being the days when there were two campuses of the university, one of course being in town, the other one being around the corner. This student wasn't in any way religious, and while he didn't come from a Christian home, nor was it a home antagonistic to matters religious. But this young man was very intelligent and very determined. You see, at age five, he had contracted polio as it swept through New Zealand, <clears throat> which left him crippled. So unable to run, unable to play sports like other schoolchildren, teased because of the calipers that he wore, traumatized because of his long hospital stays as a child, he applied his energy and his resolve in adulthood to studying. He would work late into the night, determined in his own way to disprove those who, seeing his polio-inflicted disability, thought he might not amount to much in life. And so, at Canterbury University, he was sure of what he knew, and he was sure too, I think, that he was right. And he knew that he was right. And because of his great certainty, he would go along to Christian Union at the university and debate against the Christians. He would tell them all the reasons why, according to him, Christianity didn't make sense, wasn't logical, and wasn't intellectually coherent. Just the sort of person you want to come along to a Christian union. Then one day, perhaps not unlike Nicodemus, but I suspect with much less caution, something changed. One of his friends introduced him to Jesus. That friend wasn't called St. Barnabas, but of course was quite a lot like the St. Barnabas of the Bible. And this young man was, as we might have said 40 years ago, born again. Something inside him fundamentally changed. It's not that he was any less intellectually curious or any less determined or any less industrious, but that something more was given to him, a purpose, we might say, even the meaning of life. Bishop Tom Wright has a lovely way he describes it. He says this, When we hear that gospel word and discover that something new is happening within us, something is stirring which feels very like faith and hope and love, we know that a new kind of life has taken hold on us, meaning that we have indeed been born again. Whether a moment before or a lifetime before have been made new with a life which death cannot touch, a life which will lighten our path through whatever darkness lies ahead, a life which doesn't spring from mere human possibilities, born, says John in his gospel, not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Power to become children, children of God. That's the promise of new birth, full of grace and truth. Nicodemus had a cautious approach to Jesus, but he also had a curious one. Curiosity always sits behind questions, and behind his questions and so many of our own questions is a deep yearning for answers, a deep yearning for meaning. 
Nicodemus could have been so cautious that he didn't venture any further. He could have gone into this kind of dark alley or wherever they met and not engaged Jesus and not asked questions. But his caution didn't paralyze him as sometimes it can for us. Instead, his caution propelled him. For this young student from Canterbury University, he's now a much older man. He's physically and mentally very, very frail. Who each Friday at the chapel service in the rest home where he lives in the hospital wing, he plays the keyboard to accompany those who are equally frail and put aside their caution. And even as they are at the end of their days, sing in different words and, to be honest, quite often out of key, what it is to be born again. Do you know, the Bible talks about making a joyful noise to the Lord. We've heard a little bit of that, of course, just now. But the joy is the joy of knowing that we're children of God. That's where that joy comes from. Nicodemus's journey was similar. He reappears, you know, twice in the gospel. Once to defend Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of his colleagues, the 69 other people, and again, we're with Joseph of Arimathea. He has the sad task of giving Jesus a fitting burial, providing expensive herbs and spices at Jesus' tomb. You know, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea have been called the invisible disciples, but they play such an important role in the life of Jesus. And for a man as Nicodemus was, who asked about what it was to be born again, he was present at that hinge of history where Jesus would die and three days later live again. We can mock the words of being born again, and there's no doubt it carries quite a lot of baggage. But the act of being born again, the act of being transformed by the working of God through Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is a moment as much as, a, as of a lifetime and is to be celebrated. We might be like Nicodemus, cautious in the presence of Jesus about what he might ask us and where he might take us. And indeed, the Genesis reading today reminds us of that big story of God calling a 75-year-old childless man from his country, people, and father's household to be the father of nations and how Abraham went where God took him. That is extraordinary. We might be critical, like that young student at Canterbury, about how real this Jesus is. Well, that student's own testimony, the testimony of many others, and perhaps even our own testimony, shows that God senses our caution, hears the questions that we put to him, and then changes our lives with his answers. We might be like that student now, 73 years old, my father, wondering if God has finished with us or there is more yet to do. And perhaps that's our question to Jesus today. Where to next? And it might be, as for Dad, the answer comes in the form of a caring priest and the need for a pianist for a chapel service and a rest home. Or it might be that it comes to us in other radical, life-changing and indeed costly ways. And for Nicodemus, we can only imagine the cost that it did mean for him. Because he went from being cautious 
in his meeting with Jesus to being so confident that he would help bury him and people would know about that. So what do we do with that sign of caution that I always seem to remember? What do we do with awas? Well, it's good to be careful and caution has its place. But let's not let caution get in the way of our curiosity about Jesus. For you never know, as Nicodemus found out for himself, where that curiosity might take us. Let's pray.